Hello, everyone. I'm Ben West. And I'm Matthew Cantrell. Welcome to... Mr. Matthew, have you seen the movie Brother Bear? I have. It's been quite Ah. a while. But I do remember there's a little bear named Coda. And the other... The other man is he's Indian. What um tribe? Uh, it doesn't say. Is he? Yeah, and he's also not Indian. Oh, okay, but but he. <laughs> what? He's, I mean, he's a, a First Nations, like Native American. It, okay, yeah. Right. Sorry, that's terminology is getting weird. I'm I'm guessing that this is happening in Canada, where I don't think the, the term Indian was ever used. I I'm not an authority oh, on the okay. matter, but. Yeah, all I know is that the the people I know who are Indian, Native American, they call themselves right. Indian. Most of the tribes that. on reservations call themselves Indian and prefer to be called Indian and like don't like the term Native American. Now, I'm not saying that's universal. That's just something I, I learned totally. as a courtesy. They were like, don't call us Native American. So I don't mean to offend anyone who's listening who's like, he said Indian. That's like terrible. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to, I have some friends who told me to say it this way. So hopefully that's not bad. But yeah, no, same If it page. is not evident um, from our, our fumbling here, we are very, very Caucasian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, but he, by some magic, becomes yes. a bear. Fill yes. me in, like, on all the rest. Of, and that he's, like, condescending to very. this kid, but then realizes, oh, my gosh, like, I I need to be better. Yeah. Um, I, and that's, so, some of uh, what I would like to talk about with this movie is is spoiler. And, and that's just kind of, the, the good stuff is kind of there at the end. So I feel like this is... Oh my gosh, I just remembered yeah, the spoiler. Yeah, so I'm, I'm so excited for you. To give us a synopsis because this movie was like, it hits it you is, hard. It's hard. So this this is your chance, spoiler warning, if you don't want to hear how it ends or if you have young ears. Skip ahead like three minutes. What? No, no. I mean like the whole episode is going to, we'll, we'll talk about. Oh, so sure. Maybe maybe tune, tune back true, in after you've had a chance to go soak it in. Don't listen to me, guys. <laughs> listen, listen to me. Matthew exactly 50% of the time. <laughs> so the half of what i say is true half of and it's completely true you can trust it 100 percent. the challenge the is knowing which half <laughs> <laughs> so quick synopsis is uh kenai uh, is uh with his brothers sitka and tanahi uh and they're going to kenai's uh like manhood ceremony they're, they're gonna go and sort of he this is when he becomes a man in front of the tribe that sounds really weird. It's not weird at all. Um, he uh, gets a totem, which, so he gets like the the village sort of like shaman woman goes to this this mountain, and she comes back with a little carved piece that that they will wear as a necklace with an animal and a word, and that's supposed to be like the thing that's going to guide them into their transition into manhood from boyhood. And so uh, he gets the bear of love, and is very put off by that because he doesn't feel like it's very manly and he's got two older brothers that he's trying to live up to and uh is looking for opportunities to prove himself he's got a lot of this youthful energy and so immediately before the ceremony he had been asked to tie up the fish that they had caught for the celebration afterwards so that bears wouldn't get them he does a bad job sees that he does a bad job and goes "Eh," and goes to the ceremony bears come eat the fish and uh his brothers give him a hard time for it. So he says, fine, I'll go get the stupid basket that, that had the fish. Um, so you'll stop complaining at me, not treat me like 
I totally screwed this up because <laughs> he, he knows that he's culpable for it. So he goes and he finds the, the basket broken and he finds the bear there. And he is belligerent to the bear um, and is basically like asking it to fight him so that he has an excuse to kill it and demonstrate how manly he is. And it's a bear, so he is not exactly doing a very good job of that. So as he's sort of going, ah, help, uh, his brothers come to his aid and through the ensuing struggle, his bro- eldest brother Sitka dies. He, he sacrifices himself mm. to sort of like carve away a part of the glacier that Sitka and the bear were standing on so that his other brothers can be safe. The bear survives. So after they finish burying Sitka, uh, Kenai goes with blood in his, his eyes to say, I'm going to go kill that bear. Danahi, his older brother, says, please just let it be. This isn't the way the bear doesn't like deserve it, essentially. Uh, and he has this really like line that cuts to the heart. I don't blame the bear for his death. And he just kind of leaves it at mm. that, implying, I blame you for your irresponsibility mm-hmm. and your brashness. So Kenai goes off, still committed to killing the bear. Denahi kind of goes, eh, uh, okay, I'll I'll follow you. Um, and it's not clear whether he's like, I, I, I agree, you know, uh, reservedly that maybe we should try to kill the bear or or that I kind of want that or if he's just saying I gotta watch over him um and so he, he's going to kind of like try to protect Kenai Kenai goes finds the bear chases it down and kills it and it's clear that it's like this was not a just killing and he he kills the bear on a mountaintop and the northern lights which are the sort of like uh indication of the spirits like open up uh above him and his brother sitka uh, in his like spirit eagle form comes and uh transforms kenai into a bear uh, as a way essentially like to teach him a lesson denahi arrives on the scene sees uh his brother's ripped clothing and a bear and assumes that the bear has killed his brother and then is further sort of like steeled to kill this bear that is actually his brother. And so they get separated and the rest of the movie is a chase where Kenai is trying to get to the top of the mountain where he can kind of recommune with Sitka to ask him to change him back into a human. Denahi is chasing him. And along the way, Kenai has to, is being guided by this little bear that knows the way, Koda. The little bear had been separated from its mother. And you find out near the end that its mother was the bear that Kenai killed. And so Kenai has sort of like created this void. He's, he's created this wound that he then needs to step into. And that's, that's the movie. I mean, they, they get to the mountain at the end and uh, he gets transformed back into a human. Uh, but then he also changes back into a bear because he, he realizes he needs to take care of Koda. Um, so anywho, that's, yeah, that's, that's the movie in a nutshell. Um, it was... It was super brutal because similarly, I hadn't watched it in, in ages, but uh, just like seeing that scene play out where he tells Coda that he was the one responsible for his mother's death is like, mm. that's that's such hard stuff for a kid's movie. Um, it's rated G, which is is great. Um, I watched it with, with the girls right. and um, they actually, they did really great. Um, but holy cow, that was just... Uh, there, there, were, there was. It's, it's heavy. It's stuff. super heavy, and there's, there's really cool themes like, um, 
brotherhood. So there, there's actually, the mm-hmm. girls kept asking, so when is their dad coming back? And I'm like, you know what? I don't think there's actually any dads in this movie. It's all, it's all brothers. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very much about brotherhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and like uh, manhood, which is uh, awesome and refreshing. I love that. Um, and just like lots of, lots of cool stuff to talk about there. Um, I will say that I have plenty of complaints with it. Like I, I felt like there was actually a lot that made it, very clear to me why this wasn't you know like lion king like i don't i don't think brother bear is going to be this sort of like enduring classic that lasts forever that people come back to and there's one particular moment actually where i feel like that is most clearly demonstrated and that is in the kind of like final resolution where kenai is transformed back into a human because he's made it to the top of the mountain he feels finally feels contrition for what he's done but he hasn't fully made up with coda and then he's confronted by Danahi and Danahi is about to kill him. And Sitka basically like slides in right between him and the spear, saves them both and transforms him right there. And I felt like that was the moment where it had the most potential to really be magic. And I felt like it was missed because the whole, like all of his growth, all of that interior change needed to be like manifested in some sort of, external like expression and embodiment of love whereas in the scene the way that it played out it was just sort of like i mean he was kind of trying to save coda but it wasn't directly sort of like consequential through his actions and with the plot that that was the thing that was happening and so it was just sort of like no and and deny deny he you know raises his spear and just sort of like oh that would that would have been the end (laughs) uh so, so it was like, I felt like it lacked that that uh, galvanizing yeah, moment like, at the end where it was like, I now choose to embrace love as masculinity and I, I choose to own my actions and I choose to do something for this bear that I have orphaned. Um, and so it, it, it was like, you kind of get there and, and you, you come to an understanding that's like, yeah, he's I think he's learned his lesson. Um, but I felt like there was a sort of like storytelling moment that was missed to, mm. th- to help that really connect with with the viewer. And the songs were fine, but they were not as good as other Disney songs. And it was weird mm-hmm. because they were Phil Collins songs. <laughs> yeah. So there was th- right. those were two things where I was like, I can't believe you missed on those. I mean, I can believe, um, but I think those misses mean it's it's gonna you know fade away eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I hear on that where it's like sometimes there's uh, like a third act decision that kind of like undoes the like the trajectory of the plot. It's like, oh, okay, I guess. But like imagine if he's like uh, he can get to the Northern Lights, transform back. But now Danahi like has cornered Coda and Coda is like calling for help and he he turns away from exactly. the lights to race back to rescue Coda and right when Janahi is about to like get him with a spear, he sees his brother's eyes in the bear and is like, no. And it's like, he realizes it's his brother and like leaves. But then you have like this moment where it's like, okay, I, I chose to stay a bear so that I could. Yeah. Dude, you like, should have written that. That was, take that care would of be you. a great way to I know. That. <laughs> like that would have been, yeah, that would have been like a cool way of, it's just like, I, I have to now deny what I want. Yeah. And embrace 
this new role and 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 the penance of it right. in a certain sense of like I took his mother away from him. He needs family. I can be his family. And, and that's like um, so that's the the funny thing too is like he makes that choice after everybody's hunky dory, right? And, and it's it's kind of like robbed of its weight. So the way that you just you know suggested that it happen is like when he could have walked away or ostensibly right when he could have made another decision he sort of like gives up a, a perceived good that he would have had for the sake of another which is like the definition of love um yeah and, and that's just like that i think part of it too is the the sort of like the way that the transformation happens and this is a, a personal opinion of mine and maybe a pet peeve it's like i think at the beginning of Encanto, it would have made a stronger movie if nobody got their powers back. But when everything returns, when the status quo returns to normal at the end, like we know we've taken a journey with the characters. We know that everyone has grown and changed, but it's also like they, they just sort of like built you up from rubble to we have a house again. And I felt like that was enough. I felt like it's like, okay, we are now going to adjust to a new reality together as a family. And we're going to love each other and we're going to use our our gifts um, and they're not going to be supernatural gifts, but we are going to employ our mm-hmm. gifts for the sake of building each other up. I felt like that would have been really strong. And so at the end of this, um, it's like he he has, he has transforms back into a human. He's learned his lesson. I feel like you can still take care of a bear as a human. You don't necessarily need right. to transform back. Exactly. And it's like part of it is this sort of like Christian anthropology that I'm approaching it from where it's like mm-hmm. it is essential that we be persons and and i don't like blurring the line where we say ah people animals we're all the same it's like i mean we're not we're not we're we're all right but i mean like in this story it's like it's told in such a way that like coda is still a a person in the story um so like in in the context of that right like i would like i would like take the principle like if if someone was turned into a bear and retain their human spirit inside the bear, it wouldn't all of a sudden make all the other bears have a spirit the way that humans do, right? right. So, like, I don't know. Like, you have to suspend your belief in certain yeah, capacity, yeah. but I, I do get that. But it's like, um, I don't know. Like, I, I think sometimes, like, we, like, for kids' movies, people don't want to be too intense with the way that certain endings happen. So then they're like, well, let's, like, still make it this happy, fun ending. And it's like, yeah, but, like, I mean... If you're going to tell some of these other bits of the story, like follow through, like there needs to be some like higher stakes there. and like, <laughs> I don't know. I, and some real, like, I don't know. I, I, I agree that like there could be like a more powerful way they could have done that. And um, like, that's the whole point. And like throughout the whole movie, he's trying to get rid of Coda like the yeah. entire time. Like he's being he a do- real tool. He doesn't to him. want to be with, with him. <laughs> yeah. He's like a jerk. And he's like, he's trying to get rid of him as soon as he doesn't need, as soon as I don't need you anymore. I am done with you. And here it is. He doesn't need him anymore. He can go into the light in this, in my scenario, right? right? Like he could go into the light and be transformed. And then he looks back and sees that Coda's in danger. And he's like, I'm going to sacrifice it for him. Like it, it, I don't know. It undoes the whole thing. Yeah. But it's like, like even, I don't know. I just like, <laughs> sorry, we're spending way too much time on like my perceived ending on the, instead uh, of like the fan fiction of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think that's so I do with movies. So I'll be like, how would I have done that better? Not that I'm better, better, but it's like just in my own head. I'm like, oh, what would have made me more satisfied? With well, this I think it's helpful for identifying those those pieces of it that maybe felt incomplete or or like they could have been more excellent. 
But that's, I mean, uh, something that is sort of like, not that we need to turn everything into a Christian analogy, but it, it's, I think, just sort of natural that arising from this sort of Christian worldview that we have, we we tend to look at the analogs, you know, in our lives to the movies. And in this, uh, this sort of like manhood ceremony, it reminds me actually of the sacrament of confirmation uh, because they're sort mm-hmm. of given a patron almost. And, and there's a sense in which, you know, for, for the characters in the film, you don't really get a choice in it it's it's sort of like here here's the luck of the draw here's your lottery thing that you get and it just reminds me of what I've, I've heard someone say and I, I continue to sort of hold to be true is like you think you think you choose your confirmation saint but in reality they're the ones that choose you and and that's maybe a simplistic or slightly imagine if imaginative you know sort of way of looking at that but i think it's true where well i mean we believe that the saints in heaven are alive yeah and are in heaven with god and in in so many ways because of what we believe about heaven even more alive and aware and alert than we are right And, and and in touch with reality so it's like the the saints can prompt us and and even like you can't go wrong picking someone who is currently living in heaven in the in glory <laughs> right. with the Lord. Like you, you can't go wrong. But like I, I completely agree with you. Um, what was your uh, confirmation? Uh, Anthony of Padua. Oh my gosh, he's one of my favorites. That's all time. So You've shared some stories, and uh, I, I know almost nothing about him, which is a total shame, uh, because the the stories of him that you have shared have been next level awesome, and I know I need to get to know I, him. Better. Yeah. No. Yeah. I like. I, I he has such a cool story. I like. I don't know. Do we want to like dive into it or? Let's no. Uh, let's uh, we'll save okay. it for another time. Yeah, it's so. But who's who's like, yours? But I could tell you. I could tell. Yeah. But uh, mine was John the Baptist. I was sitting at church oh, yeah. and uh, the gospel reading was um, of all the men born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus says this, and I'm like, I'm picking the best one then. <laughs> and it's, so I picked John. Not listening to the follow up. Part of that exact, like Jesus continues and says, however, he is the least compared to those who like come in the kingdom of heaven, right? Like, so, I'm not saying that he's least in, in the saints or anything like that, but it's like um, everything that's come before is is nothing compared to what's coming yeah. after what Jesus does. And that's his point he's making. But like, I heard that and I was like, oh, he's the best? I'm picking him. Um, but man, oh man, has John the Baptist just like, proven time and time again that I it like they God knew what he was doing and me choosing him as a saint <laughs> even since it's like you know he he like, died setting up for locusts. marriage like hey you cannot take your brother's wife as your own um and I'm currently working in marriage ministry and like never saw that coming but you know it's a factor um but there's so many other things with like John that like as I reflect on my ministry and things that have happened in my life and different stuff like that like it's just proven like Oh man, like, yeah, there was so much more to that than I ever could have thought. Um, it's pretty, pretty crazy. This is your prompting uh, for for all of you with confirmation saints to go read a bio of them, see see what that thing is, because mm-hmm. I bet it's there. Yeah, and and it is. It's incredible that the lives of saints are so important to us because um, we're called to all follow after Christ. And to model ourselves after him, who's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And so, as it says in Hebrews, and these people who, in their time in life, modeled themselves after Christ and lived a life um, 
we're reflecting him. Like that's ultimately our call. And it's our call with baptism and and every sacrament following that is to be empowered to become like Christ to others. Um, And that's the Christian journey is to become in the image and likeness of God as we are made. And so we take on that, that Jesus, the icon of the father through the incarnation that like we become in that same image and we are in the mold of Christ. And so these saints who've gone before us are people who did that so well. And we can learn from each one of them and each of their unique stories. Like it's very funny that like you learn about sin and people who struggle with sin. And it's like a lot of the same story over and over again. (laughs) But when it comes to lives of saints, it's like, wow, it's very rare that there's an overlap with these. They're just so unique. And just like people living these incredible lives. It's like so awesome. But yeah, um, well, that's to, to tie it once more in a weird way, I guess, to brother bear, um, because it has such, um, a focus on, on masculinity. I love that love was, was the sort of thing that, that Kenai needed in order to become a man. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's a rare message, um, uh, in movies and in the culture in general is that what you really need to become a man is love. And there was presented in the movie, his brother Danahi giving him a hard time as like love meaning lovey-dovey, love Mm -hmm. meaning pushover, gentle, infatuated, sort of like effeminate. And then what he learned through through the course of the film, which was love as self-sacrifice. So as we're, we can even tie it, you know, specifically to like the examples of the saints, like (laughs) totems that we receive, right, within, within the church, like who are those examples of masculinity that have stood out to you? Because there's this big, I feel like every man needs to kind of decide for himself what, what he's going to treat masculinity as, right? And, and what it means to him to sort of graduate from boyhood into manhood. Um, and we, we could go down all kinds of rabbit holes on like how we, we could sort of put up what the, the culture the different cultural narratives for masculinity and manhood are. Um, and that would be a certain level of helpful. I'm, I'm, I think I'd be more interested in, in talking about those exemplars of, of true masculinity um, as we see, you know, through the wisdom of the church um, and those things that jump out. And I'll just throw out as the easy sort of first win that St. Joseph is kind of like the, the pinnacle in my mind of, uh, masculinity. Um, and there's, there's lots to unpack there, of course, but Matthew, I'm interested, uh, if there are any others that come to mind for you. Yeah. Um, just like overall examples of, of masculinity in my life. Yeah. It, it's funny. It, well, like I, it, no, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I just, the, the last, I guess, point on that is that masculinity isn't necessarily like looking like a particular man. Totally. Right? And, and that there are many ways in which men sort of like manifest their masculinity. And so uh, yeah. I'd be interested to help paint as, as broad of a picture as is paintable. Yeah. I mean, so it's so funny. Charlotte and I were just talking about this with each <laughs> other um, because she is listening to the Lord of the Rings for the first time. When we watched oh. Rings of Power, um, I I was like explaining some things from like Silmarillion, a little bit from Lord of the Rings, because she'd seen the movies years before. Um, and she like finally... There was that and there was a talk that we were listening to where some people referenced Lord of the Rings. And she was like, I I think I might want to listen to the Lord of the Rings. And I was like, okay, because I had the audiobooks. Um, Done. Why I say listen. I was like, great. So we are currently at Tom Bombadil. 
And he, that is one of my favorite parts of the book. And for a lot of people, it's like, I don't get that part. I don't like, uh, for me, it's like, man, oh man, like that's one of the best parts of the book. Um, It was funny because uh, he is such a goofy character. For those who've never uh, read the books, because he's not in the movies, um, he is one of the most patently ridiculous people. Um, Like he comes skipping down the lane with flowers in his hands, singing, Oh, Tom Bombadil, Tom Bombadil, and like singing about silly things. But he's one of the most powerful beings in Middle Earth. Um, Like more powerful than Gandalf, more powerful than anyone that you encounter, um, arguably more powerful than Sauron. Like, and he's deeply mysterious. We don't know who he is. Um, Even Tolkien was like, I don't really know who Tom Bombadil is. And you're like, how do you not know who Tom Bombadil is? It's like, like, is he God? I don't really know. Like, which yeah. <laughs> next time we talk to John, we should ask him what his thoughts are. Yeah, on yeah. But, I'm um, sure he is. Many. There's a lot of different theories, but um, like it's crazy. He's this goofy, silly man. But it, it, when his wife Goldberry talks about him, he's like, "Haven't you seen it? He's the master. Nobody has caught him. Nobody controls him. He is the master, and he's this goofy, silly guy. But when he saves the hobbits from the willow tree, um, old man Willow brings them into his home. It's just like incredibly deep magical place and it's clear these are two powerful beings and they just welcome the hobbits in as guests in the home and they're like it's this healing thing they've been being chased by riders they just went into this forest that was oppressing them they just got almost destroyed by the old man willow and all of a sudden it's just like they're safe they're being taken care of they're being healed by being in this household and this silly man is hopping around his house and yet he's so wise and he's so strong he's so mysterious and powerful and I was saying to Charlotte, like, he is such an interesting experience of masculinity. That he's this, like, goofy, like, kind of character. Um, very silly. And yet there is something deeply, like, masculine and, and interesting about him. That, like, we were talking about, like, when you get, like, Hold you on, know, you Aragorn. or masculine like, in there. Yeah. <laughs> you said Interesting. And you're talking about how weird he is. And you're like, and masculine. Yeah, he <laughs> Tell is. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's the thing is he, he's he's strong. He he um, gives wisdom to the hobbits. He gives he, He's a, a deep mentor to them. He, like, teaches Frodo about the ring without even Frodo realizing he's learning about the ring. Because the ring mm-hmm. has no effect on him. He Like, Tom puts the ring on and it doesn't turn invisible, laughs at it, flips it through the air, makes it disappear, and then makes it reappear. And... <laughs> Like when Frodo puts the ring on to make sure it's really his ring and starts sneaking away, he's like, whoa, Frodo, where are you going? Come on back and join us. Like your hand's fairer without it. And like Frodo like laughs it off and takes it off. But like it's so sinister because as soon as he puts the ring on, he starts sneaking to the door. And outside it's raining and dark. But like he starts sneaking to the door and Frodo doesn't even realize why he's doing that. He's in like, because the, the whole scene is written from Frodo's perspective. And he's like, starts sneaking to the door. It's like, where is he going? The ring is already controlling him. He doesn't even realize it. He thinks he wants to leave the house, but it's trying to make him leave this place. But he gets caught and reeled back in by Tom. Um, And so this guy is just like powerful and he's loving and caring and a mentor. And he has this kind of like fatherly air, but he's the silliest, goofiest man. And like nothing like Gandalf, nothing like Aragorn, but still somehow deeply masculine. And it's in such an interesting and mysterious way. And so it's like Charlotte and I were talking about that. It's like that there, there's so many models of what it is to just be a good man, mm-hmm. like a good woman. 
And like, it's not a one size fits all. Oh, manly right. means you have lots of muscles and you're quiet and you only speak when you need to. And you know how to do lots of cool things around the house and build things. And like you're gruff. Shoot and, a bow and arrow. Like, yeah, that's, that's what manly is. And it's like, no, there is something so much deeper. And while like Aragorn is deeply manly and follows some of that stoic, like strong masculinity and Gandalf, this like old wise man, like this silly, goofy Tom is still somehow deeply masculine to me, at least in my, my experience of him. And sure. I was like, wow, yeah. that is so cool because I, I'm the person who wants to be Aragorn and is a lot more like Tom. Like, I think I'm like, I, I'm, I'm just goofy and silly. Like, especially the more you get to know me, like, it's true. I'm just like this attest. weird, wacky, silly person. And like, it's so funny because I'll do like ministry with people and they'll be like, oh, Matthew, like they'll tell people like, oh, Matthew's so intimidating sometimes. I'm like, I don't know how they get that. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't think there's a singly like intimidating bone in my body. It's just like, right. but like, I don't know. Like, I wish I was like Aragorn sometimes. Like, mm, in, but yeah. I was telling Charlotte, it's like only recently have I started to really like realize I don't need to be like that. That like, I can be the silly, goofy person I am and still be who God made me to be and still yeah. be a man. So like, I don't know. That's just like, I don't know if that answers the question fully, but like, it's just no. something I, like we've been grappling with and talking about. Um, yeah. and, and it just kind of came to me. And of course we brought Lord of the Rings back into one of our episodes. <laughs> I can't stay away for long, but like, I don't know. I, that you're was just something that we were, we were talking about. Yeah. No. And that's like, I, you're, you're saying, uh, or you said something there where it was like, it's not going to capture the whole picture. And it's like, I, I mean, I don't know if we can, right? Like, e- even if we were to present 12 different examples of like really masculine men that looked very different, like it's still an incomplete picture. <laughs> and so I know yeah. for, for myself, like Russell Crowe in Gladiator has been the the paragon of, of masculinity and manhood. And there's something about it where it's like being large and in charge, being capable physically, um, having this sort of like unwavering sense and conviction for truth justice um being the type that is yeah like you're saying like uh doesn't doesn't speak a lot just sort of commands attention and respect and i was like that that is a man uh and that that is a man that that's one kind of man uh and, and even aragorn is is very very different um where he has this sort of like deep care for mm-hmm. his people he and, and a selflessness that's tied to that he has bravery and courage mm-hmm. for sure, but he's also got like uh, a sort of like introverted personality where he would prefer to not be in the spotlight. He'd prefer to kind of keep to the shadows and and watch things unfold and kind of shepherd where he can um, rather than being, th- uh, I think Boromir is, is probably more comfortable sort of like being the center of attention and being the leader and being at the, the head of the phalanx and all that. But um, well, I'm sure Aragorn was too. Uh, yeah. Well, like that's what's funny is in the in the books, like there's a, there's a, a couple moments in the Fellowship where Aragorn like reveals the king he really is, like in mm. certain moments where it's like, whoa, like and, and so actually, oh, gosh, I need to remember things. The statues that have their hands out when they're going past oh, them, yes, like yes. they they are like, what are those? And Aragorn answers, and Frodo turns around thinking like he's like, who is in the boat with us? Because he. It's not the voice of Strider as he's known him. Mm. It like, and he looks and sees Aragorn standing with the oar in hand, like, and he's like, he saw the regal king that everyone else had been talking about all this time. Wow! And it's like, like when when he he's standing in as the king, and as the books go on, he takes that role on. It like, you see a transformation in him, but you always still see the ranger and the Dunedain in him, 
yeah. well, where it's like, I mean, I've, I've taken this role and I was born for this role, but also my preference is to be sitting back with my friends and smoking. Like there's a moment where that happens in two towers where like they're catching up with um, the hobbits after they go to Isengard and like, he's in a war meeting with like um, Theoden and other people and they're all smoking and Aragorn finally is able to sneak away and sits down with them. And he's like, I just want to be the ranger for a little bit. I don't think he says that, but like it says that in there and he like pulls out mm. his pipe and starts smoking with them. And it's like, I'm done being the king for a while. Like, I just want to hang out with my friends and smoke. It's like, nice. That's so cool. <laughs> I love that. That's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking too, as I'm trying to sort of like broaden this picture, um, I, I mentioned St. Joseph at the, at the mm. top of this. I think like that is one uh, example that is sort of like confounding. And, and that's like confounding in the Christian sense, right? Where it's not just because something's upside down that you're like, that's weird. You're like, no, this is like, this is God's strength and, and not human strength. And that's where like Russell Crowe has that human strength, which is na- I think what we would call natural virtue and, or maybe not even virtue, but like he is, he exhibits masculine qualities by the virtue of who he is as a like physical man. Um, and, and the sort of natural traits given to him that that he has been the custodian of. And so St. Joseph is remarkable in his simplicity and in specifically his reliance on God. So the, the like poverty of spirit being this sort of like internal reliance on God first and God alone as the source of everything that comes to you, which is funny that we live oftentimes in a mentality that is not um, of that sort of poverty of spirit where it's like we're actually pretty attached to lots of things and we we think that we do a lot of stuff for ourselves kind of failing to acknowledge that God's the only one who gave us life uh, a body to do those things and the abilities and then provides the things as that we need to do the things that we we do um, and it was funny because one of the things that kind of threw that into stark contrast for me was uh, seeing Will Smith at the I'm going to say Oscars whatever award show it was when he smacked Chris Rock. Oh yeah. And I watched that and I was like, good. Yeah. Go Will Smith. He, he like stood up for his wife and I was talking with some guy friends about that and they they were able to kind of turn me around because analysis, the failure is in the analysis where it's like, "Eh, it's not exactly what the situation was. Well, right. (laughs) Maybe a little hasty. (laughs) Yeah. Like Chris, Chris was making jokes about everybody in the room. Like, and, and it was part of it all. And he, yeah, you know, he made a joke about her, but like it, it wasn't meant to be a, an actual barb against her. It wasn't actually right. meant to be an insult. Like these, this comedy is part of it. And, and Will actually laughed at it. And then, and then like she spoke to him and was like, you better go like do something about that. And then he like goes and does this. And it's like, that was way over the top, dude. Like that was so far beyond what you should have done. That wasn't yeah, like a masculine act at all. It was, it was not well and that's it was not civil in any way right you know and and not to get into the weeds on that because i think like walking that back it's like okay so without the punch how do you how do you sort of like say say that it had been a real barb how how do you defend the honor of your wife in in a way that's sort of like dignified and 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 you know has a certain strength of masculinity it's like use your words right say like just call it out and be like wasn't cool man please don't make that joke you know, and and maybe he laughs it off, but you've you've at least sort of like vocally made made your your stance known, or to sort of just sort of like b- to be able to endure that with the, the conscience to know like that's not true. You know that that wasn't correct. I'm here for my wife. You know, whatever. Like th- there's a certain internal strength that the external actions are sort of compensating for when when there is a lack of that internal strength. 
um, and feeling the need to assert oneself and, and sort of like physically dominate others as a way to prove I'm a real man. Um, right. Well, and, and Christ and is jo- such an example of that, right? Yes. That like he yes. did not, he did not do that. Like he could have used his, his power as God to yeah. conquer humanity in any way he wanted to and manipulate. He can break our will in, in any way he wants to, but he doesn't. He's gentle and like he is meek and he's silent like a lamb led to slaughter. And when, and when you know, even he or anyone around him is insulted, he's not going to get up and punch the person in the face. But somehow, like, he's still like, the greatest example of a man because he's, he's willing to lay down his life for his, his bride. He, he absorbs right? the blow to the shame right. of the one who gave it. Exactly. Exactly. So, like, Except for I when think he's that's part tables. of, like, right. So I'm not saying that there isn't a place for, like, uh, righteous anger, which, of course, like, yeah, the, the table flipping is like, a perfect example of that. Um, but also, but also there, I think there is a place for, um, you know, having to, to protect the people that you love. Yeah. And if, even if that's altercations or physical violence in the correct circumstance, I think that that's appropriate. And I think that there is a place for standing up for an injustice, especially something like speaking. If someone did speak cruelly to my wife in public, I would stand up for her. I don't know if I would go and attack the person, but I would stand up for her and I would um, seek to make that right because it it, it would be wrong. It's a matter um, of justice. And again, yeah. like the comedy, the comedy circumstance, all that stuff, like it, to me, that's Will like Smith where aside. it kind of got lost. But like um, there's definitely room for that. And I think that's part of it is just like the <laughs> the classic thing. It's like, what would Jesus do? But it's like, <laughs> what would he do? Like yeah. when, when, especially when I'm most angry, uh, I like, I don't think that question through very often. Yeah. And, you know, uh, there's those moments where you like get really upset and you're like, I'm not about to act like Jesus would have wanted me to act. <laughs> um, but like th- th- there are those moments, but the the humility of Christ is just like, man, that is that is a beautiful virtue that like I would strive for is like that humility because it's the heart of all virtue. And it's like, I do not often act in that, but I right. I want to, right? Absolutely. And that's something that's uh, maybe at the, I don't want to say the heart of it, but part of part of the just sort of like daily struggle and discernment as men um, is like if, if we adhere to the gospel, there's, there's this caricature that can be painted either by well-meaning pious people or history or culture um, to say that like what it really means to be a very, if you're trying to be a good Christian, what you need to do is be a pacifist. Um, and there, I can see where the similarities arise, but it's also not the same thing. Right. It's um, not. And and that's, we could, we could get into that for sure. But I think knowing when to strike and when to hold your tongue as a man requires a lot of virtue, like you said, that humility and also prudence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Aristotle lists prudence, uh, or, and calls it the charioteer of the virtues. So it's mm-hmm. like you can have, uh, whatever. Let's pick a virtue. Um, self or uh, like mortification. Is that a virtue? No. Uh, kind of like yeah. let's say it's wisdom. Okay, wisdom. So you can you can have wisdom, but wisdom in excess. Um, Sol- I mean Solomon had wisdom, and that that didn't right. get him very far. <laughs> right. And so. And- we could, you could do that in, in each of the columns, right? So knowing when yeah. to employ the virtue of wisdom and when to employ the virtue of whatever 
righteous anger or or steadfastness or chastity or or the others yeah. well and bringing uh, back to brother bear too like it it's so interesting that he gets love because it's the highest of the virtues mm-hmm. like saint paul says whatever gift whether there's a virtue or a gift of the holy spirit any of that stuff in first corinthians 13 he says that if you can have all these things but if you don't have love it's meaningless and like love is at the heart of it all and true like love which is willing the good of the other that like man cannot truly find himself without making a, a complete and sincere gift of himself as john paul ii said in one of his great homilies and um i think that's such a, a profound statement that until we make a gift of ourselves a total and complete gift of ourselves like christ did we don't truly find who we are and who god made us to be because he is gift he like uh uh kenai condes like he he does not like Coda and he treats him poorly just because he's like seen as insignificant to him. But like God condescends to us in the best way. Like we use the word condescending and it's like got this negative connotation, but the Lord condescends to us in the sense of like, I don't need to do anything for you for my own gain, but I come to you and I love you. Like that mercy, which is one of the the great traits of God, it's, it's a subset of the virtue of love. Like mercy cannot exist without condescension. Like to have mercy on someone is to either like put the care for this person above the justice they deserve or to to do an act of mercy to another person to condescend to them and say, I can help you even though, you know, like I'm the one who can give to you. I'm, I am in the place of power here. It's It's a place of gift. Like when mercy is done in that way, when you do an act of mercy to someone who's poor or who's sick and in need, um, that it's this condescension to the person from your place of health or the, your place of wealth that you can give of yourself for the good of this person who could not have done it for themselves. And that that mercy is so in line with God for we couldn't save ourselves in sin. So he condescended to us and became man so that he could save us. And he in his what he got out of that was being murdered by us. You know, that was his end of the bargain but he did it because he's so full of love he is love as john says in his his epistle first john um four eight i believe um <laughs> that it like god is love you know and nice. that's that's the beauty of his that that total self-gift yeah absolutely well and that's like that's what's fun about i, I love unpacking kids movies like that because uh there there really is like when you reach a certain level of I want to say simplicity, but it's not even that it's simple. It's just that it's like real, right? Like it's it's talking about a human problem. And uh, I love how kind of unabashed they were in going to that that sort of darkness of the murder of the mama bear, uh, and and where they take it, right? Because I, I think those those good hero stories can paint the journey of a soul, and ho- hopefully everyone can see in Kenai, you know, something of themselves where it's like I've had to make that trip you know, from, from ego to, to humility. And so I can empathize with what's going on here mm-hmm. and sort of be con- continually edified in, uh, you know, for, for the gentleman watching for, you know, in my, my pursuit of man, manliness and masculinity, <laughs> uh, and for everyone else, you know, hopefully that builds up their opinion of the men in their lives and gives them, uh, an ideal for, for those men to strive for. But anywho, I love uh, Absolutely. talking about talking about all that stuff, and I'm glad that we took it to all those places that we took it.
Thank you for listening to Echoes of Eternity. Make sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, leave us a five-star rating if you like the show, and be sure to tell us your thoughts and what you want Ben and Matthew to talk about in future episodes. Tune in next time to hear more Eternal Echoes. Echoes.